Hi, this is John Fantine, lead pastor of Evolve Church, and this is the Evolve Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We trust that this week's message is encouraging and full of hope for wherever you are at. Um, how many of you in this room, by show of hands, I know these are awkward moments, but how many of you have heard the poem In Flanders Fields before today? Like all good Canadians, I think that was 100%. Um, how many of you are well acquainted with um, We Shall Keep the Faith as a follow-up poem to In Flanders Fields? I see a couple of hands. I want to read it as I uh, dive into Braving, part four. We Shall Keep the Faith was written by a woman named uh, Moina Michael here in Canada in response to uh, In Flanders Fields, and here's what it says. Oh, you who sleep in Flanders Fields, sleep sweet to rise anew. We caught the torch you threw, and holding high, we keep the faith with all who die. We cherish, too, the poppy red that grows on fields where valor led. It seems to signal to the skies that blood of heroes never dies, but lends a luster to the red of the flower that blooms above the dead in Flanders fields. And now, the torch and poppy red we wear in honor of our dead. And here's the line that caught me. Fear not that ye have died for naught. We'll teach the lesson. We'll teach the lesson that ye wrought in Flanders fields. We'll teach the lesson that you carved out. Because we remember to honor what's gone before us, and we remember to teach those coming after us. It's both and. We're at the end of a four-week series of talks called Braving It. And I want to establish, for those of you that are maybe brand new and miss weeks one through three, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a short recap of some, uh, I'll call them sticky statements that we made throughout this series that were the heartbeat of what we've been teaching. But the premise is, when we say that we're learning to follow and trust Jesus, and we go through things that feel like incredibly difficult, and we've been using language like stress, worry, fear, pressure, anxiety, we're, we're all going to go through these things. Some of you are in the middle of horrendous circumstances right now, and when we walk through things that are, that are very difficult, how do we respond in a way that acknowledges and honors our love and trust in following Jesus? And week one, we made this Finding peace as we rest in Jesus is less about braving it. Because there, there is a thing in the world that we live in that when we go through things, just like, just power through it. Just brave it. You're going to be fine. And I don't know that that language is helpful to anybody. Um, finding peace as we rest in Jesus is less about braving it and more about abiding in the promise of peace as we pour out, leave it, surrender, find silence, and stop striving. And again, we've been looking at um, beautiful um, portions of the Bible um, and the life of Jesus as we've been learning and growing together in this topic for the last few weeks. If you do want to go back and listen, I want to point out we, we do have an audio podcast uh, for Evolve Church. You can find it on the Apple podcast uh, platform. And uh, 
if you want to go back and, and kind of listen to these previous weeks. But week two, we established that finding peace as we rest in Jesus is less about braving it and more about staying courageous, knowing our inner circle, choosing joy, following Jesus' example, and remembering to pray. And we looked at the life of Jesus and how he walked out his days leading up to his own um, arrest and ultimately crucifixion and resurrection. Week three, finding peace as we rest in Jesus is less about braving it and more about abiding in the worth of Jesus as we remember to worship him. And we defined worship not just as that beautiful moment that we just shared here in this space, but a lifestyle of worship. And when Jesus is revealed to us, it pulls a response of worship out of us. And it's in that worship that we're able to find peace in the middle of our pressure and our stress and our worry and our fear and our anxiety. And today I want to talk about finding peace as we rest in Jesus and how it's less about braving it and more about resting our faith on altars of remembrance as a witness between us and God and a witness for future generations. Moira said, fear not that ye have died for naught. We'll teach the lessons that ye wrought in Flanders fields. We remember to honor what's gone on before us on this beautiful and, and sacred day in our nation, Remembrance Day. But I thought, man, that's a beautiful truth as we wrap up a series on how to handle stuff. And a man that I'm acquainted with, he does a lot of work in seniors' care homes. And he goes into seniors' care homes uh, to just share about Jesus. And so he's, he's with uh, men and women who are definitely in the twilight years of their lifetime. They are in, in their, their, the last season of their lifetime. And he shared a story. He said one time he was in this room full of, of men and women that had, had lived full lives. And he asked this question. Who here in this room can remember a time where God was not faithful? Who here in this room, he said, can remember a time in your life where God was not faithful? And in that entire room of men and women who had lived full lives, not a single person was able to say, I don't, I don't remember a time where God wasn't faithful. Hindsight does that to us. Do you agree? Do you agree that the older you get, the more your heart settles into the truth that God is God, he's ultimately good, he loves his kids, he's relentless in how he loves his kids, and that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we come through it. Sometimes it takes time. Sometimes it takes a toll on our emotions or our physical health or our family. But ultimately, we look back and go, even then, I have to say, God was faithful. And as I was reflecting on that moment in a senior's care home, I'm like, at what point in my lifetime am I going to be able to confidently say, as I look back on, on my own story, I can't remember a time where God wasn't faithful. That was my first response. I'm like, oh, man, I hope, I hope that I get to that point one day. And as I've shared that, I want, I'm going to guarantee somebody in this room here right now is like, I hope one day I'll be able to say that as well. 
And the purpose of this final talk in this series is maybe we could all learn today to have the kind of courage and faith that we could all walk out of here today and say, God, I can't remember a time when you weren't faithful. Even right now, even though I'm walking through what I'm walking through, I can't remember a time. The lie that we believe is that our experience in life, that our choices our responses, that they're actually about us. That's the lie that we all believe. Why? Because we're essentially selfish people. That's that's a part of our our past. It's a part of our brokenness. We talked in in the first month at Evolve Church about this new nature that Jesus mediated, this new life that we get to step into. But a part of our broken self is that we are all, at our core, by a product of default or design, we're all, we all have the tendency to be really selfish. And, and because of that, we think that, uh, that as I'm going through this, that it's really about me. And maybe, and that's, the, that's all I just want to ask the question, what if it's not? What if what you're going through right now, what if it isn't, what if it isn't about you so much as it's about honoring how faithful our God is and equipping future generations to trust and follow Jesus as they learn that God is also faithful. That's the question I want to ask. Braving it, like when we go through it, I just got to gotta power through this sucker. That's a learned response to our current financial, emotional, relational, fill in the blank, whatever you're going to, just like I got to power through this thing. We identify what's causing the pressure. We identify what's causing us to feel afraid or worried, and then we fix it. But it doesn't fix it because braving it isn't the right response. What if we viewed our story as a small picture of a greater story where we recognized a generational perspective attached to how you and I overcome today? Let's pray. God, thank you for today. As we look at um, passages from the Bible, God, we just want to open up our hearts to hearing your voice, recognizing your voice, knowing your voice. As we bring this series to a close, God, there's, there's a thousand things we could say about our response and following you as we walk through difficult things. But I ask that the words I've prepared today would have value and worth and weight for all of us as we learn and grow. In Jesus' name. Amen. In the book of Joshua, in the uh, first half, the old part, the Old Testament, in Joshua 22, there's a story. Uh, most of you are probably familiar with uh, how God's people, the Israelites, they were in Egypt. They were slaves. Moses was was called to to go and set those people free. And and uh, some of you have seen a movie, either live action, old, new, animated, maybe about this story of God's people leaving Egypt and crossing the Red Sea. And this, this land that was promised to them and in the book of Joshua 22, this is actually the point in Israel as a nation, their history, where they've come to the edge of the promised land. They've crossed over the Jordan River. Moses has died. Joshua's the man in charge. And Joshua begins to uh, lead the people in, in kind of fulfilling Moses' plan to say, all right, you as, as a tribe, there's, there was 12 tribes, uh, which actually ended up being 13 because one of the tribes was cut in half. Um, but uh, Joshua says, all right, you, you guys are going to go over there, and this is your inheritance, and you guys are going to go over there, and that's your inheritance, and you guys are going to go over there. And uh, three, two and a half of the tribes 
were allotted land on the east side of the Jordan River. Okay, so this is the story, uh, story in Joshua 22. And here's what happened. Uh, these two and a half tribes, they were, they were crossing back over to the east side, and they decide to build an altar by the river. And so they build an altar, and, and then they go and they settle. Well, the other tribes on the west side saw that they had built an altar, and they assumed something. Here's what they assumed, and you can read about it in the book of Joshua. They assumed that these two and a half tribes built this altar so that they could worship foreign gods, that building the altar was actually um, them saying, we're done with capital G-O-D, our God, our nation's God, our people's God, and that they assumed that they built this altar to, to worship other gods. And they got right worked up, and the story goes that they assembled their armies and they marched on their people to confront them about this new altar that they had built. And, and then they sent um, the son of a, a priest across to kind of like feel the sucker out and what's going on. And we pick up the story in Joshua chapter 22, uh, verses 21 to 27. Here's what it says. The Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh replied to the heads of the tribes of Israel, the God of gods is God. Let us say that one more time. The God of gods is God. He knows, and he'll let Israel know if this is a rebellious betrayal. And if it is, don't bother saving us. If we built ourselves an altar in rebellion against God, if we did it to present on it whole burnt offerings, grain offerings, to enact sacrifice, peace offerings, let God decide. But that's not it. We did it because we cared. <laughs> oh, our bad, right? We were about to slaughter you. Oh, you did it because you cared. And here's what they said. We were anxious lest someday your children should say to our children, you're not connected with God, the God of Israel. You live on the other side of the river, right? That's actually what they're saying. You're not connected. God made the Jordan a boundary between us with you, you Reubenites, you Gadites. You've got no part in God. And then your children might cause our children to quit worshiping God. So we said to ourselves, let's do something. Let's build an altar, but not for burnt offerings, not for sacrifices. We built this altar as a witness between us and you and our children coming after us, a witness to the altar, capital A, the tent, where we worship God in his sacred dwelling. In other words, we really, really love God. We built this offer as a sign for our children to walk by and go, what's that altar all about? Well, let me tell you what it's about. That altar in our past represents who God is and what he's done in our life so far. They built this altar as a physical reminder to who God had been in them as a nation, what he had done for them as a nation, and what he'd continue to do through them as a nation. It was a physical, tangible structure that kids and grandkids and great-grandkids could look on and say, wow, God is good. How do you know it? Well, because that altar. You got no proof in your own life? Well, I, I mean... I know what he's done in my family for years past, and so I will trust him today, even though it's difficult. Beautiful story. They say, this way, your children won't be able to say to our children in the future, you have no part in God. You have no part in God. Finding peace as we rest in Jesus is less about braving it and more about resting our faith on altars of remembrance as a witness between you and God and a witness for future generations. 
Does anybody in this room journal on a regular basis? I, I, uh, I, I went through seasons, and I, I still go through seasons where I write more. But I, I've kept all my old journals. And I actually love to, you know, every time we've moved, um, I find them in a box and I open them and I end up sitting on a carpet on a floor somewhere and reading old journals. And for me, journals are powerful because they're actually a snapshot of what God has done in my past. They're a picture of how God has spoken to me, how he's led me. And uh, I went through a journal entry not too long ago. You know, when I was um, in my uh, late teens, early 20s, I was in a transition that I've talked about before of, of moving from Vancouver uh, to Winnipeg. I was living in Vancouver. I loved it in Vancouver. My life was in Vancouver. Um, the reason I wanted to stay in Vancouver is because I was head over heels in love with a girl who dumped me, and I wanted to stay there because I wanted to try and fix it. I'll be honest. That's why. My motive was terrible. I said it was God and, you know, nature, and, but, but it was really about this, this girl who dumped me hard and my broken heart. Well, my parents called me on the phone one day, and, they, and it was late in the summer, and they said, son, we've been thinking about you. We've been praying for you, and we really feel like you're supposed to move to Winnipeg. Yeah, some of you just laughed. That's what I did. I was like, yeah, right. Not going to happen. They said, just pray about it. I hate those words. And, um, and so I committed time to praying about it, and I was journaling in this season like, God, what do I do with my life? What do I do with my future? I feel like you want to use me for significant things. Like I'm going to be a part of your church. I had all these like dreams and, and I was just tapping into who I really felt God was asking me to be. I was young um, and I did not want to move to Winnipeg. I need to make that really clear. Because if I moved to Winnipeg, it would mean like actually sealing, closing the door on any hope of restoring that tanked relationship with that girl who dumped me hard. Can you just say, oh, can you just like, yeah, that's what I needed. Thank you. Um, no offense, dear. Because <laughs> the story gets better. <laughs> Anyways, um, one day I, w- I worked in this coffee shop in this neighborhood called, called Carisdale. And Carisdale is like a really nice neighborhood in Vancouver. And I, I'll be honest, I can't remember a time where I ever saw a transient person, someone without a home, someone who was begging for money. I don't ever recall ever seeing homeless people in Carisdale. And I don't know if that they just weren't allowed to be there or if like people worked hard to keep them away, but they were, they were never around. It's like a clean neighborhood. And I was walking to work one morning, and there was a gentleman sitting on the street corner. I remember seeing him half a block away going, huh, that's odd. And as I walked towards him, he stood up, and he took a step towards me. And I don't get frightened easy because I'm, I'm a big guy, right? But he walked right towards me. And he put both his hands on my shoulders. And he looked me in the eyes. And then he spoke to me. And I actually wrote in my journal the words that he said. And it wasn't so much what he said, but how he said it. It was like this guy had been reading my journal and knew my deepest fears and, and what I was afraid of and, and how I wanted to trust God, but I, I wanted to figure things out on my own. It's like he'd read my mail, and he spoke right to my heart and gave me absolute peace, and then he turned around and sat down on the concrete. And I'm like, what just happened? So I, 
I walk the rest of the way to work, and it's like, it's just around the corner. And I'm in this dazed stupor. I have a backpack. And so I get to the coffee shop, and I was early for work. And so I put my things away. I'm like, that was, I got to go figure this out. And I come back outside, and I walk the half block, and he's gone. I can't confront him. I can't ask him what he meant. He's gone. And by gone, it wasn't like he was running half a block away or half a block that way. He was just gone. I'm not here to say what that meant or who he was. I have a suspicion that I had an encounter with with a God who loves me enough to communicate clearly his will for my life. And so that day, I called my parents because how he said what he said gave me peace about moving from Vancouver to Winnipeg and starting fresh in a new city. And I called my mom and dad, and I said, guys, I've been praying. I'm I'm coming to Winnipeg. And they said, we know. We've already bought you a ticket. My, My mom and dad were so full of, like, faith that I was supposed to move to Winnipeg that they'd all, and they said, we've already, we've already bought you a plane ticket. It's a one-way ticket, and we've paid for your first year of Bible college. We've, we started the registration process for you to go to Bible college. We paid for the first year. Just get here, and so I went. You want to know something? At 42 years old, if you spend any length of time with me, one of the things that you're going to get out of me as being a core belief is that God loves his kids and he loves them enough to communicate clearly his will for their life. Like, God's not some ethereal, vague master that likes to, like, twist and torment his kids with doubt and suspicion and wondering. He's a father who loves to communicate clearly to his kids. Even if it's just our next step, it's still clear that his word and his life is like a light to our feet, like a lamp to our path, that we can have confidence that, that God loves to speak to his kids. And Jesus actually says when we're in this meaningful relationship with a God who loves us that it's kind of like a sheep and a shepherd, that the sheep, as they're led by a shepherd, the sheep confidently recognize, know, hear, comprehend, and understand the voice of their shepherd. And that's actually how much God loves us. That's not what my message is about, but I want to tell you that as I reread journals and I look back on the story of my life so far, God is faithful, and God loves to lead his kids with clarity. That's part of the reason that Nicole and I had such courage and tremendous faith to leave life in Winnipeg to move here to Plant Evolved Church because we knew that God had spoken. We heard this. It wasn't like an audible, but we just knew We knew that God was leading us into something. And some of us wonder, does God even know my name and where do I fit? And and I want to tell you today as part of my own journey and the altars of remembrance that I've established in journals and story and my own experience that God loves his kids and God loves to communicate clearly with his kids and God loves to lead us with clarity. What is your story telling you? I know through the narrative of Jesus that shepherds love their sheep. And I know through the, the absolutely beautiful text of the Bible that God loves us enough to lead us well. So when it comes to hearing the voice of God leading me today, I've got greater peace about confidently knowing his voice because of my altars of remembrance, the altars that have been built in my own past 
And as a dad, I want nothing more than for my kids to also trust and know and for me to be able to share stories with them and say, God did this in my life. I wonder what he's going to do in yours. This is who God is in our life as a family. I wonder who he's going to be for us for future generations to come. True statements. Are they true for everybody or just true for some people? Uh, it's 2018. This is a big question. Well, truth, is there truth? I'm going to say yes. I've got the mic. So I'm going to say, yeah, truth, there is truth. Truth exists. And if it's true, it's not true for some. It's true for everybody. I'm going to make a statement that I'm going to qualify as being true. Again, I got the mic. But you aren't called to be like other Christians in your life right now. You're not, you're not asked. You're not required. You're not called to be like other Christians or other humans. You're called to be like Jesus Christ. That, that's a true statement. And we're all figuring out what that exactly means for us. But in the context of the things that you're experiencing in your life, the things that are causing weight and pain and heartache, a diagnosis that you've been given recently, a bank statement that has you gasping or wondering, what what are we even going to do? A relationship that's in crisis. What you're going through right now, as you navigate, as you learn to follow and trust Jesus, in the middle of your hurt, in the middle of your pain, in the middle of your pressure, in the middle of your worry, your fear, your stress, your anxiety. You are required and asked and invited to be like Christ. The word remember appears in the Bible about about 160 times, depending on which translation you lean into. But the Bible says, remember your past. Remember when you were a slave. Remember the Lord your God. Remember your promises. Remember the covenant. Remember, remember, remember. And we all do it. We forget. We forget who God's been in our past. We forget what he's done in our story so far. We haven't built in markers along the way to serve as altars of remembrance, to look back on personally and with our kids and with our grandkids and with our family to say, actually, I remember when God did that, and so I have peace right now. In Luke 22, there's a story uh, of Jesus, the beautiful example um, of how he chose to rest in an exercise of remembrance in the middle of suffering. And Jesus is at a table with his disciples in the upper room. He took his place alongside of the apostles and he told them, I've longed with passion and desire to eat this Passover lamb with you before I endure my sufferings. And I've often imagined this story playing out. And I've seen paintings. Have you ever seen paintings of the, the Last Supper? And they're all like sitting on the floor lounging back, right? Eating hummus and olives and, you know. And can you even in that relaxed state, can you even picture going, Man, it's so good to just chill and eat food with you guys before I die. Can you, can you imagine that? Like, can you even, like, there's, I have no context of thinking that that went down. And yet the Bible says that Jesus is at a, at a table eating lamb with his posse, and he says, man, I've, I've just, I've been looking forward to sharing this meal with you before I go to the cross. What? That doesn't even make sense to me. He says, I promise you that the next time we eat together this this kind of meal, we're going to be together in the banquet of God's kingdom. 
He raises a cup and he gives thanks to God. And he says, take this cup and pass it on one to another and drink. Because I promise you that the next time we drink this wine, we'll be together in the feast. And then he lifts up a loaf of bread. And after praying, again, a grateful Thanksgiving kind of prayer, he gives each one of his apostles a piece of bread. And he says, this loaf is my body, which is now being offered to you. Always eat it to remember me. This beautiful example for us to choose rest in an exercise of remembering, even in the middle of our struggle. Finding peace as we rest in Jesus is less about braving it and more about resting our faith on altars of remembrance as a witness between you and God and a witness for future generations. Who here can remember a time when God wasn't faithful? The tension you feel right now in the middle of your financial crisis, in the middle of your job struggle, in the middle of your parenting dilemma or relationship status, it doesn't feel like God is faithful right now. And I want to tell you that's okay because he is. And that's also a true statement. And he's faithful in the waiting because what you're navigating right now Two years, seven years, 18 years, 33 years from now, you will look back and go, I can't remember a time when God wasn't faithful. You will. The tension is always fleshed out well in this little word spelled T-I-M-E, time. One of the amazing guys that's kind of made Evolved Church home so far, he taught me a new word called perturbation. And we've talked about perturbation at our coffee with the guys, and, and uh, he sent me some documents about this. And I'm not going to dig heavy into it today, but basically at the root of perturbation, it means that I'm perturbed. I'm ticked. I have this anxious feeling of being under immense pressure. And some of you might describe your current mood as per- perturbed. Jono? I don't want to think about 33 years from now. I want, I want this fixed today. I'm, I'm perturbed. <laughs> I'm feeling anxious amidst the weight of this pressure. Come on, God, show up. Fix it. Where are you, right? Again, if this is just me, then I'll just keep preaching to me. But some of you here, I think, can identify with that. But perturbation is also the, the pressure, the process that a lump of coal goes through over time, to become something beautiful and complex and valued. It's the same. And there's so much I could say about this topic. And if you have questions about this, I'm just going to send you to RJ because he's, well, I don't think he'd mind. But do you think that Jesus, as he shared a meal with his father, was just, was just thinking about his own suffering? Or... Was there a sense of the suffering that his best friends were about to work through for his namesake? I think that as Jesus said, I'm, I'm loving this moment, guys. This, this food is so good. I'm about to go through something really hard. I bet in Jesus' heart was the capacity to understand that as he modeled love and grace and forgiveness through his suffering, that it would set the tone for his story to just blast out through the then-known world as Christianity was born and people started identifying with following Jesus and being a part of this new way 
of living life. And I, I bet you, I just bet you that when James wrote these words in James 1, 2 to 4, my fellow believers, when it seems as though you're facing nothing but difficulty, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. Another translation says, count it all joy when you go through crap. That's my translation, by the way. Count it all joy, for you know that when your faith is tested, it stirs up power within you to endure all things. And then as your endurance grows even stronger, it will release perfection into every part. Yeah, but how long is that going to take? As long as it takes. But God is still faithful. God is still ultimately good. God is still ultimately right there with you. And so the only challenge I wanted to throw out to all of us as a community as I close today is simply this. How can we experience joy when we're facing immense pressure, worry, fear, stress, anxiety? How can we experience joy when we're walking through a negative health diagnosis, when we've been betrayed by a close friend? How can we experience joy? How can we count that as joy? Well, whenever you're together, breaking bread with your tribe, breaking bread with just you and God, drinking from the cup, Jesus says, remember what I've taught you. Remember what I've showed you. Remember how I've carried you so far. Remember how I walked in love despite the most horrendous circumstances of the cross. Remember how I showed grace and forgiveness to others despite hanging on a cross. Remember how I rose from the dead to mediate your freedom and your life and your peace and your right now. But it's not just about you. It's to build moments of remembering how faithful God is in your life, to encourage you and remind you when you're going through things of how good and faithful God is right now in your life to influence and inspire the next generation to know and trust and follow Jesus as they experience how good and faithful and God is. Altars of remembrance have to be built. Stone upon stone, layer upon layer, sitting with a spouse and looking back together at how God has worked things out for us so far, an altar of remembrance. Sharing a meal with friends and reflecting on how good God has been, an altar of remembrance. Rereading an old journal to get a sense of how faithful God used to be so that I can trust him today. An altar of remembrance. Sitting with those who are in their twilight years to hear their story of God's mercy and goodness. An altar of remembrance. But build them. Build them. As we learn to follow and trust Jesus, it's not just about braving it. It's about resting our faith in this amazing sense of altars of remembrance of how faithful God has been and so I can trust him today. Amen? Let's close our eyes and pray together. God, thank you for the truth from your word. Thank you that it's in Jesus that we discover the tools and the response. He paved the way. He made the path clear. All we have to do is take the time to, to look and see that in the middle of the most horrendous life events, Jesus navigated with grace. Jesus, even as he took his final breath, trusted the Father. 
Jesus helps us today to remember that God is faithful, that he loves us, and that he's with us in the storm, that he's with us in the waiting, and he'll be there when we come through. And as we leave this space today and and think about the altars of remembrance that we would like to build into our own routine, build into our own habits, build into our own families, even if it's a pause today to remember all that we have to be grateful for in this nation of Canada, God, that you would be right there in the waiting with us. As we deflect and paint pictures for future generations to to know you and follow you and trust you, that we would recognize that our current status today is not just about us. It's about where you've brought us so far and how you're continuing to carry us through for our kids, our grandkids, our nephews, our nieces, our family, our friends. God, you are faithful. We thank you for the gift of following you, knowing you, trusting you. Thanks so much for listening. Visit EvolveChurch.com for more information. And if you're ever in the Edmonton area, stop by.